Howdy. This is Vosh. You may know me from the YouTube channel, Vosh, where I livestream. Most of it's garbage, but sometimes the good bits get uploaded here. This is Previously Live. How you doing this fine day? Pretty good, I guess. Nice. How about you? Pretty good. Is your cat okay? Yeah, yeah, I um I appreciate you asking. Yeah, just like standard um idiot kitten disease, I I suppose. Uh gave us a bit of a spook, but but he's totally fine now. Um running around eating and I don't know, catapulting and all that stuff. I'm good. I'm glad. Yeah. So I'm actually really surprised that you're willing to talk. Not that it's at all unappreciated. I think we have plenty to talk about. Uh, for those in the audience who are painfully unaware of what's going on around them, would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Christina Buttons. I was a reporter for the Daily Wire for six months, covering exclusively transgender issues with an emphasis on pediatric gender medicine. And I publicly quit a few days ago. Um, to quite a bit of fallout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted That's to okay. talk about that. You know, so we have we have plenty of disagreement, you know. Um, and I wanted to talk with you because the hmm, the attitude that a lot of people on the right have taken towards trans people has evolved in the mm -hmm. past couple of years. I remember just a few years ago there was a kind of paternalistic sympathy you know fake or otherwise it was like uh oh well they're delusional on this but you know we're just here to help them you know like we we just want to to contradict these delusions so they can live fulfilling lives and now things are a lot more aggressive you know yeah if we're looking at it through like a partisan way um but there are a lot of people who are sort of like me too who come from the left who are also concerned about, you know, like the skyrocketing population of adolescents who have adopted transgender identities. Um, but no, I I agree with you that uh, it's become less about compassion for them and more about winning. Yeah, so I think um, we'll probably have time to talk about that, but I wanted to know, well, you know, I've never had the privilege of talking to somebody from the Daily Wire before. You were, I mean, as Matt Walsh described it in his video where he he seemed quite cross with you, you know, you were across the board from him. Um, Did he make a video? Oh, yeah, no, he talked about you in a live stream, I think, uh, two days ago. Oh, I didn't see it. I don't know. Uh, he was, um... He was he was on tone, you know. He was he was consistent in his messaging for for people he's upset with. Um, the I wanted to know how how exactly did this happen? So you you started to work with the Daily Wire, as you said. You were talking initially about like trans youths and the like. And um, what what initially made you feel like the tone was shifting uh, in a direction you weren't fond of? I had always tried to sort of keep the news outlet separate from the opinion and the media personalities you know it, it's sort of like designed in the way fox news is where you know we have fox news reporters doing the news during the daytime and in the evening time they have you know tucker carlson 
opinion shows, talking heads. Um, I had tried to sort of keep that separate. I never really watched their shows anyway, so I didn't really pay attention. I just sort of did my job. Um, but just recently, you know, in the last month or so, like it just, it felt like it made me uncomfortable and, um, and then it just, it made me angry. So I decided to say something about it. And you, Matt, uh, one of Matt's complaints was that you, um, you brought that online before you talked with any of the people at the office. Did you, was there any discourse in the daily wire or? I didn't work in the office very often. I was working from home mostly. Um, but I tried to approach Matt Walsh a few times in the beginning when I did see him in the office and he's just not the most approachable, friendly person. Like I didn't really get a, a good sense from it. So I didn't really try any, any time after that, but it's weird that he says that too, because you know, he's the Dylan Mulvaney video he made on Valentine's day. He's already like made subsequent videos doubling tripling down on his position so i don't understand why he thinks me having a conversation with him about it would have changed anything this yeah. is a deliberate direction they're going down yeah that's what i that's what i said too because he was acting like um and this was this was i think really phony on his part you know if you had come to him with your concerns he would have heard you out but of course he's an incredibly wealthy powerful political pundit you know working with others of the same pushing a deliberate message very rarely in that environment do you get like a like a strategy pivot um you know from having a concern brought to you i imagine he he, he probably would have just insisted that you keep quiet so as not to be disruptive to the the yeah. combined front the only way to voice my opinion was to quit i wasn't allowed to criticize anybody um so i don't know um i I just highly I they have what what's going on is like that video the Dylan Mulvaney one he made another video saying like it had like 20 million views or something like that mm. and there was like a very strong you know divide between people saying like it was too harsh and then it, other people were just like loving it and I felt like they really just sort of leaned into like what their audience said they wanted like you know, there's a some audience capture going on where they're just, I mean, that's something that Trump is really good at doing. It's just feeding into what he thinks the audience wants and they just eat it up. Um, so no, I think that was, this was like a deliberate path that they're taking that I just didn't want to go down. And it seemed evident when um, Michael Knowles gave that speech at CPAC. Right. Um, it felt like he just wanted to get in on it Uh it's unfortunate. Yeah, it seems like the um, the attitude, you know, you've probably heard um, this claim made by people on the left, but it seems like the attitude has gotten a lot more overtly genocidal, uh, less about uh, disagreements on ideology and more the idea that transgender people represent some kind of fundamental social rot that has to be excised. Uh, and you see you see yeah. rhetoric like that historically in a lot of um, a lot of bad circumstances. Um, but it's definitely not the like mask of compassion that was more common in the rhetoric, you know, three, maybe four years ago. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I know that Knowles was specifically talking about 
ideology in that speech, although he chose a terrible word for it. I would never say transgenderism because people can't separate transgenderism from transgender people. Um, so I just, I think that was a very sloppy choice. And I think it was just deliberately meant to stir up a media cycle. And um, that felt really gross to me. Uh, it's, I, I just don't understand why anybody would say something like that. They, they just sort of, they just want to scare the shit out of people, I guess. I don't know. I know a lot of trans people in my audience were pretty scared by it. When you said you were not, you weren't allowed to criticize internally. Was that, are you being sort of euphemistic or were they actually like internally, you know, like very overt on the whole toe the party line thing? Um, well, I just sort of thought it was kind of like a company policy. Like maybe a lot of news media companies have this policy where, you know, don't publicly criticize anybody who works for the company because it's bad for the brand or something like that. I didn't, I didn't think that much of it. Um, but no, I had to quit to be able to speak my mind and to be able to say, I don't agree with this. Yeah, I don't, I, I doubt they would keep somebody on board if they were being, um, you know, actively contrary. Very rarely, I, I can think of a couple of times people at the Daily Wire have argued. I remember Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro argued for a bit with uh, yeah. something to do with Kanye West. I don't remember what it was yeah. exactly, but they, they got fussy about that. But for the yeah. most part, they try to keep that really quiet, I think, that, that unified front. Yeah, that's right. And um, Oh, no, go ahead. Well, also, too, like, there's just different rules for media personalities than there are for reporters. Like, I wasn't allowed to go on podcasts. Um, and... That's odd. Is, is it because you... Um, maybe there's, like, a media training prerequisite they have people do before then like months and months of making sure you you can song and dance in front of a camera i don't know um i just know like i was invited to go on tim pool's podcast i think in the beginning of january or at the end of december and then i was excited and i told my boss and then he said oh we have to check with so and so and i did and they said Sorry, our reporters can't do long form interviews. And I said, oh, that well, sucks. Yeah. Um, I, I accepted the terms. I said, okay, but um, I am going to be publishing a book some point in my career. And I will need to be able to go on podcasts to do that. So I'd like you to, when the time comes, reconsider. And we just never got there because I don't have a book yet. It's just, not even close to being done. I I've heard they take a while. I haven't uh, I haven't forsaken <laughs> myself. And that's a shame. You know, I I mean Tim's got a a big old compound. He's got you know he's got um a, a skateboarding um uh, uh like the 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 what do they call yeah. it? A, a, sk a skate park in his basement. He's it's pretty radical. Um, I can't believe they denied you the privilege of getting to um scrape your knees on that. I I don't think I'm gonna be going on anytime soon now. I, I think he made a video about me. I didn't watch it. I just know that the headline said, you know, that a Daily Wire reporter quit because Matt Walsh was too mean. I never said that. And I also didn't quit because of Matt Walsh's videos. I, if that were true, I would have left weeks ago when he made them. I, it was Matt the weekend Walsh. of the Knowles speech that I had decided like this, 
it wasn't just a bit that got blown out of proportion. Like this is a deliberate path that they're taking that I do not want to go down on. So I, that's. Yeah. Right. No. I, <laughs> well, so I'm interested in this from the outside because I don't have any, um, I don't have any professional ties. You know, I do my YouTube and my live stream. Um, but I, I've never felt like I have an obligation to adhere to any kind of like template for my speech. I get in fights with people all the time on my side, on conservative side, all over the place. Um, and I know that things are a lot more rigorous on the professional end of things. Obviously you can't have it be totally free form. You'd have people disagreeing with each other over everything. But a thing that I've noticed is that over the past couple of years, I used to have a lot of what felt like, um, principal disagreements with people on the right or people who had conservative, you know, sympathies. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't think they were always honest or um, I often thought they were kind of dumb, but they had real positions. They cared about them. They defended them. And more and more over time, I've noticed that there is no argument anymore. There's just like this wall of conservative hegemony, right? Like a position, oftentimes just a feeling that is not deviated from, you know, across the board. And the trans issue in particular seems to be a huge line there. There's like no room in conservatism right now if you're even like ambivalent on trans people, right? They're so insistent on that messaging. And I think they're consolidating to an extent. Like they're not allowing for any um any variance in that in that range. It depends on who you're talking to or about. Um I know a lot of sort of center right people who are very, very reasonable and and sort of try to address this in a compassionate way and try to say like, you know, adults do what you want. Uh, let's just be a little bit more careful when it comes to kids. Um, maybe don't affirm them right away. Maybe sort of try to conduct some more assessments, make sure everybody's getting the right treatment that's right for them. Um, and then there are people who are more on the hard right side of things. And it, it does seem to be coming from a bit of like a place of disgust, I think. And I see a lot of memes about the slippery slope and, you know, this is what, uh, this is when gay marriage got us or something, you know, I obviously don't agree with that. I'm very pro gay marriage, you know, uh, but it, it really depends on, on who we're talking about. Yeah, I, I, the slippery slope argument seems to be really common these days because conservatives feel like they're getting a pushback and a lot of stuff they've been seething over for a while, right? Like gay marriage is a big one. They've never liked that, you know, at least not a lot of them, not most of them. I'm pretty sure every single Republican state party has kept revoking gay marriage on their list of priorities uh, since uh, Obergefell. And, um, and, and now, of course, we see like, well, ah, well, you know, you allow these gay degenerates to do their thing and then you have trans people and then and you'll see those image posts online where it's like, you know, first it was respect my marriage and then it was bake the cake and then it was respect my pronouns. And you see what I mm -hmm. mean? You have, I've, there's like a million iterations of that image, but they keep yeah. cropping up over and over. Of course, obviously, you know, I, I, I occupy probably maybe not the furthest, but pretty close to the furthest left position you can have on this. I'm pretty ambivalent to slash supportive of the whole youth trans thing. But I do think there's a, a, a massive distinction between where you are and what your concerns are and what's happening right now broadly, because this narrative of like, okay, well, 
in order to undo this, we need to go all the way back. And you have stuff like the Supreme Court justices saying they were reevaluating their positions on like contraception or, or, or interracial marriage. It's like, how, how far back exactly are we meant to go before things mm -hmm. are, you know, sort of ostensibly stabilized? Do you hear rhetoric like that? Or did you hear, I'm sorry, at the Daily Wire, was there like a casual kind of like, yeah, man, back to the 1950s, here we go vibe? No, that's the thing. Like at the Daily Wire, I just, I, I mean, I had this, the same idea sort of about Republicans. I, I dabbled in social justice on Instagram. I worked for this like super progressive Instagram page. I thought all Republicans were horrible people. Turns out they're not. It's very varied. And then what I liked about the Daily Wire when I was in the office, everybody was wonderful. And they've, it seems like they were pretty like moderate. And a lot of them seem sort of like libertarian, actually. Um, but I was told in the beginning, you know, the company stance is like, adults can do what they want, just leave kids out of it. And I felt comfortable with that. Um, but it really depends. Yeah, well, that's, you know, even to say, and again, not to say I, I, I agree with the stance you've taken, but what you're talking about fundamentally is like a libertarian position, right? Yeah. The whole, or, or maybe classical liberal, I don't know, like past the point, okay, well, you know, even if I disagree, don't like it, think it's self-harm, whatever. Adults are adults, let them do their thing. And that was, that was the attitude until recently, I think. Yeah. But in your article, you talked about how some of the messaging that the Daily Wire folks had engaged in, Knowles and Walsh, uh, was they were muddying the waters when it came to what you termed like the protection of, of youth, of minors with trans issues, because it, it made it like less of a concern specifically for their well-being and more of a like, okay, well, it's all just bigotry then. Like it's all just unambiguous, undifferentiated hatred for trans people. Um, and do you think that in retrospect, the fact that this is kind of where it's ended up for a lot of conservative messaging has sort of put the lie to the concern about trans youth from them over the past few years, like to the extent that they actually cared about it, you know? How much do they care about this issue? It seems like it was and kind how, of like, is it excuse, real? you know, like protect the children, but actually they, they really just don't like trans people, you know? I can't really speak for anybody else. Um, I do think that people really care about what's going on with kids. I think there is some really concerning things going on. Um, I think that is valid. But for some people, yeah, for some people who are not engaged, not that don't know what's going on, like it could be an excuse for bigotry, I guess. Yeah, but it's it's kind of like a lot of it is really like where the um, where the underlying motivations are, because the attitude that people like Walsh and Knowles are taking with regards to trans people, this is just like um, this is in no way beneficial to young people. You know, uh, if your attitude was that, OK, well, maybe a lot of young trans people are, are deluded or whatever. And again, I, I don't I don't believe that. But if you did believe that, right, the the idea of like, well, how will we address these issues? Well, we'll put out content talking about how they're like degenerate, they're ugly, they're disgusting. 
this seems like stuff that isn't really rooted in saving anyone. It's more like a kind of blanket disgust, like you said, like disgust, you know? But that approach seems antithetical to the Save the Kids ones, right? If it's something that yeah. you adopt, you know, I don't think you would ever go about thinking like, well, how will I save these these youth? You know, like, all right, well, I've got a video coming out about how ugly they are. <laughs> that'll that'll really bring them on board. It, yeah, it felt very detrimental to what I'm trying to accomplish and what all the people who I talk to, parents and doctors and mental health professionals who are sort of trying to talk to others about this stuff without being accused of being anti-trans but just sort of you know maybe we should proceed with caution uh people who are trying to have those conversations like this that kind of inflammatory rhetoric coming from conservatives it does not help them and then you know when you have to ask like who does it help like it helps them it helps invigorate their audience it helps draw people in to their channels like it's it's just not helping anything that all of the people that I know are trying to accomplish. And what that entails is, you know, talking to the U.S.-based medical organizations and trying to get them to consider conducting a systematic review of the evidence, just like the U.K. and Sweden and Finland and now Norway just recently have, and, and trying to find a way that's helps safeguard children i guess um we have like a growing population of detransitioners and most of them are autistic i'm autistic hey, i me too. didn't get it you did you are yes i i didn't get diagnosed until i was an adult there's there's a serious problem with like we we just it used to be thought of as sort of a boy's diagnosis. Like the the ratio they used to say was like four to one, male to female. Um, and now we're finding out that it's it's much more evenly matched. So we need to develop better diagnostic criteria to detect it in girls much earlier. So what I see the problem being really is that we're getting all of these autistic kids when they're a teenager who are hurting, they're struggling with their identity, they don't, they know they're different from everybody else, but they don't know why they don't do well in social settings. They want a community. And then they see, you know, the trans community, they're introduced to the idea that they might be born in the wrong body. And that might explain everything to them. They tend to fixate. They tend to prefer simple sort of black and white solutions. They get it into their head that they're probably transgender and then they're sort of immediately affirmed through counseling and through the medical establishment. And that is sort of what I see is specifically something that we should be talking about, not eradicating transgenderism from public life. Um, that is, that's why I'm doing this is I'm, I'm in it because it's my community. It's, uh, I just don't, I don't want people to, to suffer and get the wrong diagnosis and then end up medically harmed from it. Of course. Now, what you open with there, with the disproportionate rate of diagnosis between boys and girls when it comes to autism, totally agree on that. It's a real issue. Yeah, there's a lot of understudied medical stuff when it comes to women. You know, I remember there was that talk of heart attack symptoms being different for men and for women. 
but because medical, uh, you know, like studies have been conducted primarily on men and with the expectation that men would be reading them, there was like a, a set of inaccurate expectations across the board, you know, stuff like that. I, I think we're getting better. Uh, certainly there's more work to be done, but I am curious because, you know, I have looked at a, a good bit of data when it comes to transition with youth or adults, and I'm pretty sold on the affirmative care model we got right now. I wanted to know, what exactly would need to be demonstrated for you to feel confident in our current approach towards uh, trans-affirming care for youth? Are you referring to like the studies that show that there's like a one to two percent rate of detransition? Yeah, that's one of them. I feel like they're surveying adults and not the current cohort that people are most concerned about is teenagers in those studies. So they don't really provide that much information. There's some other, there's a great Reuters article that came out recently um, that looked at a lot more studies. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that you. Reuters article, but um, there's I wasn't- a few that Please. Well, there's at least two from last year that found that the rate of detransition in their particular studies, they had smaller sample sizes, but the, it was much higher. It was like 30%. I've personally talked to dozens of detransitioners with very similar stories. They were actually similar to mine growing up. I had a really, really tough time in adolescence. Um, there's... I mean, I'm in a group chat with like 60 of them who have gone through the same thing and were sort of medically affirmed and they realized they had made a mistake. They're actually on the autism spectrum. Well, here's my concern. As I understand it, the earliest pillar of medical intervention you get if you're a trans youth is usually hormone blockers. Yeah, obviously, right? You know, they, they give you a bit of time to decide if you want to continue on to... Um, cross-sex hormones, uh, you know, they're reversible, uh, you can take them for some time. And it seems like most, from what I'm familiar with, something like 98% of youth who go on hormone blockers then go on to actually take hormones, which suggests to me a level of consistency in their willingness to transition. Because we have kind of limited data on this moment to moment, because usually like medical data on large groups of people um, to get really strong answers on like demographic tendencies. Those take a little while to come out and this whole trans youth panic thing is relatively recent. The information I've seen seems to be pretty consistent in the idea that detransition is relatively rare and even when it does happen, it's usually not because they actually, you know, have doubts about their identity. It's usually because they can't keep up the cost of the medication or they can't, um, uh, they're not being accepted socially, so they sort of dejectedly go back to where they were. The main, the reason I bring this up, like the real reason I'm concerned is, it's all well and good to spin a story. And I understand there are risks of overdiagnosis, but there will be thousands of detransitioners with regrets, even if youth gender transition is held to an incredibly high standard with regards to diagnosis. Medical regret's pretty common, unfortunately. Even if we just had 1% of people who regretted it, detransitioned, whatever, that would eventually be thousands of detransitioners. How do we arrive at a model you think would be good for children? Well, I want to go back to the irreversibility part 
of puberty blockers. I don't think that's actually true. Um, if you're talking about puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, if they're started at 10 or stage two of puberty, like they will be infertile. It causes sterility. There's all kinds of other studies coming out about cognitive delays. And I mean, even just your genitals don't grow if you take puberty blockers. If you're a guy we're talking about, um, you know, I, there's a loss of sexual function. They, The hormone blockers can have these effects during the time you take them, but that's because they're blocking the hormones, right? It would make sense. It's a natural consequence of their design. But once you stop taking hormone blockers, I'm pretty sure the research indicates that fertility will return. And But you uh, said they all almost always certainly go on to take cross-sex hormones. There's a bit of like iatrogenesis going on. Well, that, that where... will cause you to be infertile, sure. But that's, I mean, that's the point of them, right? You, you take the hormone blockers till you know that you're ready to make a real decision. And then if you make that but decision- kids that don't know how to make person. real decisions. Well, wait. That's what I'm- we're talking about the reversibility of hormone blockers, right? If they then go on to take estrogen and that has long-term effects, I, I mean, I, I get that, right? But that doesn't mean the hormone blockers aren't reversible. That just means a lot of people choose not to reverse. I, I've seen a lot of other stuff that, that suggests to me that they're not as reversible as people claim. But I don't think that kids know what they're getting into. I think that a lot of them are on the autism spectrum and they are being misdiagnosed with gender dysphoria. There's a lot of body dysmorphia, for example, that goes on, especially autistic adolescents, and that could be confused for gender dysphoria. It, sure, it could be. But when it comes to claims like that, I just, I haven't seen any research to indicate it. I mean, certainly when it comes to stuff like hormones being taken by 17 year olds or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there's room for mistakes to be made here, but that's, that's why I'm so supportive of, of hormone blockers, you know, cause it, it's not, it gives you time. There's not a lot of research decide. yet because this is just sort of happening right now. I mean, there's, there's studies that are being conducted, but we're kind of just like, people are just, this is all just happening right now. Well, I the mean, studies, the concern, sorry. Oh, just the studies we have seem to be positive. The studies on like, uh, the, likelihood of continuing on to take hormones, the low rate of regret. I mean, a lot of these do include youth. Um, if people take hormone blockers for a bit, then stop, you know, it's fine, right? That's the, that's just a part of medical decision-making. But I, I just worry about basing concerns about the process on the stories of the, what seems to be a relatively low regret rate in people, you know, a small proportion. Because if you do that, you can get people upset about any medical procedure, right? There are folks mad about hip replacements, heart surgeries, uh, you know, nose jobs. But if you just take those stories, I mean, you're not really getting the full picture. It's consistently the same story though. It's, and it's, it's a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of them. I follow them on Twitter. I interview them. But, um, right. But we could, so you acknowledge then that at most we're talking about like a collection of anecdotes in the absence of data, right? Because even if everything was working well and fine, we would still have hundreds, even thousands. The transitioners of are evidence that it doesn't work well and but it's not fine. There are people with who regret any surgery. Like we couldn't use those as a argument against 
any kind of medical intervention. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But there evidence that gender identity is not fixed. They were medically affirmed because they were told that their gender identity is innate and they're living proof that that's that there is a flaw in the system. So would a diagnosis of gender dysphoria have to be 100% accurate for you to feel comfortable for it to be levied at kids? I would be happy with just longer assessments and don't immediately affirm and get people diagnosed with autism if they have autism, you know, like just find the right treatment that is right for the, for the right person. Like it's, oh. I just, this affirmative model just seems to be sort of like a one size fits all. I, I mean, I agree with the, the idea we should do our best for every individual, but it could be the case that that's already happening. And what we're seeing right now is an inevitable proportion of people who regret the procedures done uh, in a way that could never be fixed, right? Like even if we took all the time in the world, and the point of hormone blockers is to give more time, you know, that's the whole point is, all right, well, while we're deciding, you know, you're not gonna get armpit hair or whatever, Godspeed with you. And I think that's why they're so beneficial because the alternative to that, I think, would be a greater pressure to jump on hormones immediately. If we could get 99% success rate with regards to detransition, would that be sufficient? We're a long way from that. I mean, it takes four and a half to eight and a half years to realize that you made a mistake in most cases well, um, for detransitioners. That, I don't know how you could medically assure that's would, would you have to like wait eight years before any diagnosis of gender dysphoria no no i'm talking about detransitioners um it usually took them four to eight sometimes 10 years to realize they had made a mistake well ain't that their prerogative i mean folks make mistakes you know doctors can do a fine job diagnosing but ultimately they're doing so based on the reported feelings and experiences of the patient if the patient's incorrect in reporting those experiences, goes through a year of hormone blockers, then decides to take uh, hormones. I mean, there's a limit to what the medical system is capable of reasonably accommodating with regards to potential doubt. I just, what was the question? Oh, just, I mean, people are gonna doubt the outcomes of these procedures. They're gonna have regrets sometimes. But I don't know how you could use the existence of people with regrets as evidence against the efficacy of the current model, because even an ideal system would produce people who later have regrets. It's unfortunately unavoidable in any kind of procedure. It is avoidable if we have better assessments better individualized assessments. I've talked to a lot of detransitioners who were immediately affirmed. We've talked to Dr. Erica Anderson, who knows that, who's, who's spoken with parents who said that their kid was affirmed after 20 minutes. There's detransitioners who- Aff Affirmed for what? In a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Well, what were they prescribed after that? Usually the path is puberty blockers, then cross-sex hormones, and then if they want surgery. Well, the whole point of the puberty blockers is to give them time to decide not to, right? You could, if, I mean, if you later decide that's the wrong path for you, you've got 
a year, two years, I mean, however long they're on it to, to stop taking them and your life will continue on. But this is where the, the, the iatrogenesis comes in. It's, there's like some psychological influence going on. They, if you were socially transitioned and you're on puberty blockers, like you just sort of are on this conveyor belt to the next step, which is cross-sex hormones. Well, I mean, maybe the diagnoses just tend to be pretty accurate. If 92% of people on hormone blockers then go on to take cross-sex hormones, it seems like usually the kinds of people who get on hormone blockers are just going to end up being trans, right? I mean, not every kid just wanders into an office and says, oh, you know, actually, I think I'm a boy or a girl. Usually some thought goes into it beforehand, probably years of internal debate, deliberation. I mean, I'm not trans, so I'm just assuming here, but it seems like a big life decision. Yeah, which is why a lot of the friends that I have who are trans say this is a big life decision. It takes a long time to really come to terms with it. And it's something for, it's a decision for adults to make. You know, the part of the brain that deals with, you know, the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until they're 25. Like that has to do with like thinking and planning and decision-making. Sure, but we can't um, postpone all medical decision-making to that point. The age of consent from a medical perspective is often as low as 15 in a state, you know. Uh, sometimes medical decisions have to be made earlier than that. Yeah, but this is sometimes involves, you know, surgery. When we're talking about cutting the breasts off of a teenage girl, it's just, it's I mean, just if, something if that they should. Decide it's good for them. It's, I know, but that's it's not a day one should... thing. You know, that's a that's a day two thing. It takes a while to get there. <sighs> not always. I mean, I I ran into a. Facebook post about a girl who's 11 planning for her, her mom was planning for her surgery. Like there, it's just, this is the kind of thing that just requires more care. Right. And, but you know, data wise surgery on youth or especially for trans stuff, it's pretty uncommon hormones over and a thousand. Blockers, well, in a country of a third of a billion, maybe, I mean, it's, it's it's not unheard of even with cis people. Uh, I know, for example, I believe there was a girl in my in my school, not in my class, but in, in my grade, who had a breast reduction surgery. I probably would have been fifteen. She just was hurting her lower back. You know, they were too big, probably. Um, but we we yeah, agree. That's to the that. sort of an aesthetic thing to make them look different, not like just removing them entirely. Both the same surgery, just depends on the amount of fat you take. And in both cases, it's 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 being done to enhance the health of the person doing so um i i don't think the surgery stuff is usually done that spuriously you you usually have like the diagnosis then the hormone blockers then the hormones and then like usually like 18 or past they do the actual surgery um but it seems like i guess what i'm curious about or what i want to get at is it seems like you don't you don't think there should be any medical intervention before 18 at all like you like there should be like maybe you get a diagnosis, but the wall should be at 18. And I think that's um, potentially quite harmful. My problem is with the affirmative model of care. So I don't think with that current model that kids should be able to make those kinds of decisions. Well, 
So you don't think there could be any circumstance where it's acceptable for a kid to get on hormone blockers at 12, 14, 16, you know, wherever in that range? I mean, if we're talking about exceptions, but this isn't like the exception. This is, that's the rule right now. And there's, there's other countries who have rolled back on the affirmative model. They've conducted reviews of the evidence. They found that it has far more risks than benefits. Yeah, I've reviewed some of their assessments and I've found them lacking, especially with the closure of that NHS clinic. It seemed like the problems they had were mostly political. I heard a lot of anecdotes when I read those reports. Heard a lot of, well, this could happen, that could happen, here's a person, here's a person. Not a lot of data. It's one of the reasons why I don't like it when politics gets mixed up in medicine. In medicine, the best you can do is you you work with the best standard of practice you're capable of. You assemble the data you have, and the data we have right now affirms the affirmative model. We just don't have much of a body of evidence to contradict it. Doesn't mean it's perfect. There's always room for improvement. Well, but a lot of the challenges to it have been political. They've been, you know, here's little Sally, hear their story, or what if this happened? And, you know, what if it happened? Mistakes I think happen. that there will be, though. I mean, it's, that is where we are right now. No, we don't have all of the data on detransitioners. We don't know how many there are. We know that a lot of them won't follow up with their doctor when they do detransition. So we don't have that data. But I, I believe that we will. I, I talked to enough of them. There's a growing population of them. I mean, even on the detrans subreddit, it's, it's growing by it's growing it grows at least like a thousand new members every month there's just so many posts on it that are heartbreaking and similar they were just sort of affirmed immediately and not questioned but so but the so the affirmation is considered psychiatric best practice that's the affirmative care model because there's no point in a doctor debating the kid on their gender identity therapists do the same thing um but even if every one of them thousand people a month who joined were detransitioners, and a lot of them could just be people who sub, you know, um, that could still very well be in line with a proportion of only 1% of people regretting their decision to go through, you know, the transition we'll process. We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll find out in the next, in the coming years. I suspect that this is, that there are going to be quite a lot of them. The data is going to show that there is a large portion of them, and I think that they're mostly going to be autistic. The Tavistock data, you said that it didn't produce any data. We know at least like 33% of those kids are autistic. I figure a lot of the conditions that might make a person trans might also make them autistic. Or like there's probably a shared variable. There. Gender nonconformity is a trait of autism. Yeah, that would And I think them. that we should embrace gender nonconformity. And I think we should embrace, you know, masculine girls and feminine boys um and i mean well, the thing is like when you transition then you were being put on the path towards lifelong medicalization wouldn't it be better to just if you're a if you're a gay kid not to transition and to accept who you are and if and, that's what they uh, wanted to be but if they yeah. wanted to be a girl then that's also mm -hmm. open to them but if, what if they're told they're a girl because they like girl things Yeah, and they I, come to believe that? I hear a lot of this. It's So this is like the, the grooming rhetoric, basically. The idea that like 
the upswing in trans youth are being sort of cajoled into him. Um, there ain't no That's data for it. Like the it's, ideology. It's the, I can't take it serious because there's just literally no data to go off. It's stories. But you can make stories of anything. You go to the wrong part of the internet and you can hear stories about, uh, you know, like an epidemic of rabbis beating people to death in the streets of New York City. You know, make a, make a political ideology out of that. It's cutting through the noise. There's no reason to believe that that's a meaningful issue. If there are parents that are like pressuring and cajoling um, their children into being trans, I promise you a thousand times as many are pressuring and cajoling their trans children into being cis. The social pressure to conform is overwhelmingly strong compared to the social pressure to, as you said, adopt a lifelong path of medical intervention and social ostracization. So are there some parents doing that? I'm sure at least somewhere there is at least one, but I do not think it's proportional at all. I would say the opposite's probably a greater problem. You have gender nonconformity, sure. And there have been in this past era more feminine boys and masculine girls than ever before. But there have also been more trans kids and I just don't see a but reason what is to think a trans a kid? There. Is a trans kid somebody whose gender identity doesn't match their sex? Is that what you view it as? Oh, someone was born like me, but they wanted to live as a girl. That's all I would need to believe they were a trans kid. I just think that it's, that's something they should decide when they're older. Oh, why? If they can be, because it involves being a medical patient for life and having a medical leash on you and a lot of horrible side effects. I think if if there's a gay kid and he he doesn't understand his sexuality, but he he likes dresses and sparkly things, then we should embrace let him embrace that. Let him embrace his individuality, but he might think he's a girl, but he's not. He's a little boy, he's well, a gay kid and he might grow out of it. And might. wouldn't it be better for him to grow out of it and live his life with like a functioning sex have functioning sex life and well, i mean there's folks, been a lot of trans folks have functioning sex lives i can tell you that much i'm i won't pretend to understand how it works but there's i mean there's been a lot of studies that show that without socially and medically transitioning them they will desist they will no longer believe themselves to be transgender and they will usually grow up to be gay and lesbian adults i don't know if i've seen any of those studies i know that gender incongruence like gender non-conforming behavior often does not lead to people being trans i'm unaware of any data that an actual affirmed consistent belief in gender dysphoria uh will go away if left alone it's worth noting though that the same thing happens with gay people right like if you have a kid, 12 year old boy, you know, says he's gay, parents beat the shit out of him and say, no, you're not. You just like pink. Give that boy enough time and eventually he might start telling other people that he's straight. You know, people are really malleable and the social forces they're subjected to will probably play a pretty large role in the decisions they've made. I just don't think there's anything inherently better or worse about somebody being trans or cis. There's more medical stuff involved with the trans route, that's to be sure, but things are getting easier now than they were before. That's the whole point of uh, hormone blockers. You know, if you take hormone blockers, you no longer have to medically undo a male or female puberty, 
when you actually get around to being an adult and settling everything. You know, the, the work it takes, you know, facial feminization surgery, years of hormones, not to say that's not a road worth taking or there aren't happy people down that way, but you skip a lot of steps if you take them hormone blockers because then you just have a female puberty as a trans girl, you know? I mean, you just, you just skip the whole thing, which considering the rate of suicidality and depression with this demographic of kids, it seems like that could alleviate a lot of their suffering. Those stats on suicide ideation, the 40%, right? We're not talking about committing suicide or attempting suicide, but suicidal ideation. Yes, that's that stat. But we do know that LGBT youth do have a um, very high rate of suicidal ideation compared to non-LGBT right. And youth. autistic, right. And I'm very, very sympathetic to that. I don't actually I was... know the rate of autistic suicidal ideation. Let me see if I can look that up. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, it's just it's not a data point I'm familiar with. No, go ahead. You can look it up. I don't know the exact number. I would have to Google Scholar this for a little bit. Um, at any rate, we do know that when people, um, you know, given the very low regret rates, I think we can safely assume that the path to transition and transitioning, usually one that these um, these folks, you know, don't in retrospect disagree with. They're happy with the changes made. I know a lot of older trans women, for example. By older here, I mean like twenty or older. You know, like not kids. Um, wish they'd been able to go on hormone blockers when they grew up because it would have um, it would have saved them a bit of time, uh, you know, on the uptake. And it's not as though it's just youth, right? There's been an upswing in trans identification in millennials as well, people who are old enough to make their own decisions. The fact yeah. that there would be a proportional swing in Gen Z indicates that it might not be a... It's a little know, more than proportional. I think like the most recent data from UCLA found that the rate of youth between 13 and 17 doubled while the rate of adults had stayed the same a rate of trans people uh, youth identifying as transgender that rate had doubled adults had basically stayed the same from a five-year difference let me see uh, ucla has um has some data on this yeah that's what i'm referring to let's see 1.6 people Oh, sorry, 1.6. 1.6 million people ages 13 plus identify as trans in the U.S. Whew, that's, that's a lot of people. My goodness. Yeah, but don't we think, don't we, don't we know, they're trying, I mean, there's a lot of activists who are sort of trying to do away with, like, gender dysphoria being a meaningful diagnosis. So now, like, there's different organizations, like, I think Planned Parenthood, ACLU, CDC, other places like that, that sort of define transgender now as just sort of an umbrella term. Well, it includes um, non-binary people. includes gender not in conformity. Oh, I will say, though, well, I'm looking at this data, the UCLA thing. It says that 1.43% of ages 13 to 17 identify as trans and 1.31% of ages 18 to 24. It feels pretty proportional between the two. Like, that's only a difference of From 0. One, from two, the past three. five years it's doubled oh sure but at the moment it's about the same rate so i feel like that would argue against the idea that grooming is a major factor in this because you have people in their mid-20s who are proportionally as likely to be trans as you know people in their early teens i don't necessarily call it grooming i just think that the idea of 
what being transgender is has expanded and the definition has included all of these other types of things like not conforming to sex-based stereotypes that more people are identifying as transgender now. Yeah, well, because you can be trans without going down any of the medical route. You know, there are non-binary yeah. people and so on and so forth. And I imagine most of the accountings for that. I think I remember, you know, speaking of Matt Walsh, who we were both lovingly recounting earlier. Um, yeah, I remember he was on Joe Rogan and he yeah, was, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was asked, you know, like how many youth are on hormone blockers? And he, he was like, millions, you know, billions, trillions, the whole population, of the planet, who knows? And then it was something like, Four thousand. Uh, what was it? What was how many? Well, Jamie Reuters had Reuters had found uh, between it, there was like seventeen thousand who had done either pubertal blockers or cross sex hormones. But those numbers were sort of they said a significant undercount because they were just looking at insurance data, not anything paid for out of pocket or otherwise. I imagine most. Um, of you know it what's would be funny about for. that story mm -hmm. is. Um, my employers basically had said after he did that, that everybody, that they needed, that all of them need to check through me what the latest data is to make sure mistakes like that didn't happen again. <laughs> hey, there we go. That's some trust. That's very funny. Yeah. Well, um. That's what happens when he goes off script. Yeah, well, um, tragically from my side of the aisle, there aren't billions of trans five-year-olds or whatever but you know inshallah we're getting there i um yeah, look i i don't i don't mean to pretend that this is all settled science you know the process of forming best practices for medical care it's always an ongoing thing it never stops you know there's always going to be change and i'm receptive to the idea that there are refinements to the model that could be made but from what I've seen, it seems like a lot of the evidence that we have is is really positive. You know, what what I'm seeing when I look at the data is like, yeah, go, go, go. Like we're we're doing it. We're we're correcting a, a long held imbalance in, in social well-being. And then when I hear we should roll it back, you know, we should step back, we should hit the brakes. It seems to be more anecdotal. Like, well, here are some people who are unhappy. I don't think we shouldn't listen to them. You know, I, I mean. A person who's detransitioned or who mistakenly identified themselves as trans or who was misdiagnosed, those are, um, you know, those are stories worth hearing. And I, I don't think they're bad people or anything like that. Uh, I just think that in the absence of more compelling data to criticize the affirmative care model, we've we've got something good going on here. You know, we've got. I a... don't view those studies as being evidence that things are going right, though. I view them as. All it shows us is that if they start puberty blockers, they're more likely to take cross-sex hormones. Well, we might one day see a study, and I'd be interested in seeing it as well, where we get regret rates on people in their early 20s who transitioned when they were young, you know, who did the whole diagnosis, puberty blocker, cross-sex hormone, yada, 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 you know. Um, mm -hmm. And we get like a total proportion. At the moment, the data we have from all age groups brings a really low regret rate from but we don't 1%. want that to happen though like we don't want a whole bunch of people to regret it we want to be more cautious now so that everybody gets the treatment that is right for them like but, i don't want there to be huge numbers of detransitioners but we i feel like if we could just be a little bit more cautious now and provide better individualized assessments instead of just affirming and get better diagnostic criteria to detect autism earlier I feel like that might be the best route. 
And I know you're not, you call detransitioners sort of anecdotes or whatever, but they're, they're people who have been like medically traumatized. Like it's, they have very important stories to tell. There's a lot of them. Their numbers are growing. And pretty soon, like they're, there's going to be so many that people can't ignore it anymore. I'm all in favor of evidence-based approaches towards our medical model. But you have to yeah. remember, there isn't one regret rate. There are two. And the second regret rate is trans people who regret not transitioning earlier. And that regret rate, by the numbers I've seen, is massive. Since we've only recently started affording proper medical options for trans people, you know, what we're doing is correcting an existing regret rate. The decision to do nothing is not a um, neutral one. You know, we take a stance either way. We have affirmative or we have more resistant, less affirmative models of care, but we're producing regret rates on either side, both directions. And right now we do have a lot of evidence that trans people have been begging and screaming for medical care like this to be accessible earlier, to be more thorough, more available. We don't have evidence to indicate that the number of detransitioners exceeds an acceptable proportion of the total people who have been serviced by transgender healthcare. That's not to say that, you know, cut our losses, people are hurt, whatever. There's just always a regret rate in both directions. So but more of the recent studies are showing a higher regret rate in the UK, seven to 10 percent in the US last year, 29 and 30 percent. Do you know what the names of those studies are by chance or which publications released them? Yeah. Because all of the studies that I've seen, including ones from this year, uh, like 2023, have suggested very low re uh, rates of regret. If there is a specific um, subsection of the population that's being focused on, I'd like to see it. It's usually adults. So like when adults are making these decisions, they have a lot more life experience. They know exactly what they want. So they're less likely to regret it. Uh, this is the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. Oh, um, How do I send this? Do you want me to send it to you somehow? Uh, clinical endro endocrinology. Uh -huh. Trans regret rate. I can probably get it pretty quick here. Is it, um, is this from the Washington Post? No. Trans endocrinology. Detransition among transgender and gender diverse people. Uh, here we go. I believe this is the one from June 2022, the 9th. Um, what I'm looking at says April. April. Mm. Uh -oh. Can I send you a link? Oh, I believe there's a chat in Zoom. Yeah, there's, um, though they updated Zoom, so it might be. Oh, you found it. Great. <laughs> I couldn't find it that fast. Uh, there's a couple. I'll just send you real quick. Thank you very much. Okay, let me take a look. Shifts in gender-related medical requests by trans and gender-diverse such-and-such. And then there's this, continuation of gender-affirming homosexuals, detransition. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Our results suggest that in excess of 70% of TGD individuals who start gender-affirming hormones will continue use beyond four years, with higher continuation rates in trans-feminine individuals. Patients who start hormones with their parents' assistance before 18 years have higher continuation rates than adults. Did you know that today is D-Trans Awareness Day? Is it? Oh, that's fitting. Yeah, um, and there's a there's a big protest, or, well, there's a big event going on right now in California at the Sacramento Capitol that a lot of my detransitioner friends are there. 
protesting. I hope the weather's good. I've heard it's a bit stormy in California lately. Yeah, I hope they're yeah. enjoying so, themselves. We performed secondary analysis of 2009 to 2018 medical and pharmacy. Oh, that's right. Okay, this one in particular, I'm not very fond of. So this this one, the one from the 22nd of April, the problem with this one is that it extrapolates uh, the continuation of gender-affirming hormones based on a secondary analysis of pharmacy records from the U.S. military healthcare system. Um, without any direct testimony from patients or from doctors, there are uh, dozens of confounding variables that might explain why a drop in coverage from the U.S. military uh, insurance system could happen without it having anything to do with the actual identity of the um, um, of the patient. Uh, let me see the other two right here. Or sorry, the one that you linked. Or you linked two more. Okay, hold on. Sorry. I apologize. I don't mean to, to put you on the hook here. I just wanted to just go over this really quick. Qualitative. Of 130 youth receiving clinical gender care at Children's National Hospital, 68 met conclusion criteria. Qualitative analysis performed the identity patterns. Just Oh, we're doing chi-square tests. Oh my god, I'm back in college. Of the 68 youth followed over time, mean age 15.11 years, 47% autistic, me too, 22% non-binary, 20 reported a shift in request, no significant differences in population. Shifts in gender-affirming medical requests by gender-diverse youth may, uh, may not be uncommon during the adolescence gender discernment process, may more likely during non-binary youth. Many individuals who experience shifts away from medical treatment may later resume the request. Well, okay, that, that seems all right to me. So they're, um, they're looking to see here if there are any shifts that have taken place in the type of care with the acknowledgement that it might resume later. Um, that seems all right. I don't think this necessarily refers to like a regret. I mean, even if it does, like a shifting away from like hormone blockers could just be like a legitimate part of the process, right? I don't know if you could fairly say one is detransitioned if they um, get a gender... Uh, dysphoria diagnosis and then like five months later they're on like three months of hormone blockers and they're like ah, I don't think this is working for me and they get off it you know what I mean mm -hmm. um, and then there's I'm speed reading as best as I can out of politeness but I'm a bit out of practice in reading here detransition among transgender and gender diverse people no that was the one I found not the one you found I find this and click on that. I can't see the Cambridge link. Um, okay, National Library of Medicine. Um, care of trans patients, a general practice quality improvement approach. Primary care must ensure high quality lifelong care is offered to. Da, 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 da. No primary care is inconsistency between multiple UK gender identities. Oh, that's right. I saw this one. Yeah, this was. Um, yeah, Thomas Hackett. This was one of the um, one of the articles that was made criticizing the broader like NHS gender clinic uh, care standards, right? Uh huh. Given the findings of long waits, high rates of medical complexity, and some undesired treatment outcomes, including a fifth of patients stopping hormones, of whom more than half cited regret or detransition experiences. Regret or detransition experiences. I wonder what's lurking in the conflation of those two variables. This small but population-based quality improvement approach should be replicated and expanded upon its scale. But yeah, without the expansion, I don't really know what could be done with this. It's these are all. Hmm. 
What do you think an ideal regret rate would be? Or like an acceptable regret rate? If we're talking about youth care. Zero if we're talking about kids. I don't want anybody to cut their breasts off if they when they're a child like and they don't they don't know what they're doing well, but we're talking about hormone blockers than hormones right i mean the surgery is almost always done past 18 um mm. but even then like a regret rate of zero is impossible no medical procedure has a regret rate of zero what if like i mean for every like 50 children who are whose life quality is improved with trans healthcare, maybe like one goes down the wrong road a bit and has to detransition later and their life is worsened for it. I'd Would rather not focus so much on what the regret rate is and then what, what the assessment pro process is like. Right now I feel kind of reckless and overly broad. If transgender can be defined by not conforming to sex-based stereotypes, if there are a lot of girls who have not received their autism diagnosis, who are on the spectrum, who might be led to believe that they are transgender. Like it, it seems like there just needs to be some more safeguarding put in place to prevent mistakes and sure. regret. But ideally, after that safeguarding has taken place, we'd have like kind of an acceptable regret rate, right? I mean, because we we do that with all processes, like how much. Um, you know, like how much uh, um, prior criteria should we need to fulfill before we do this surgery or that surgery? There's always room for error. Um, but if you if you can imagine like how many people helped versus how many people harmed, I mean, what do you think like a like a fine result would be? I don't know. I was just in the, with with something like this. I mean, cross sex hormones that produces a lot of irreversible things too i mean it, we're basically like for for at least the detransitioners we're creating dysphoria in people well we are they, when we refuse to take care of trans youth as well right like we are creating dysphoria in them by choosing but not what to if they're not care. trans what if they're autistic well what if they're what if they're both or what if they are trans and a lot of them are like again the regret rates certainly indicate that a a high proportion of these people treated are trans, right? They self-identify as trans. We know that a lot of kids self-identify as a lot of different diagnoses that they're introduced to, like on TikTok. I mean, have you been following what's going on with like the the TikTok ticks? There's I, a great New York Times article about how a lot of them are recovering from that. People are very psychologically susceptible. But remember yes. that a lot of the criticisms you're making right now were made in the 80s with gay children the idea that oh you're gay not... is biological well being gay no we haven't found the gay gene but we not the gay gene but it's it develops in utero sexuality is yeah but develops in utero to the extent that that's the case and it's not entirely because sexuality is fluid after birth that might also be the case with trans youth there's some evidence to suggest that a lot of it has to do with the uh, proportion of hormone washes you receive in the womb that might have an impact on your uh, are you talking about the brain scans the the studies of the brain that find like a structural region of the brain that resembles the opposite sex i think those that, are all all of those people are gay what they're basically doing is sort of rediscovering this research that was done in the 90s on you know the gay brain well wait that's that's not that's not true what, what you're you're accepting a premise for one set but not another 
we have very tenuous evidence that there's like a fundamental causative biological root of being gay and of being trans not in all cases gender dysphoria Uh, gender dysphoria sure um but they're not consistent and it's not settled science but in both cases what you're saying you know oh they think they're trans but they could not be but people said this about like gay youth and this was this idea was a component of a lot of abuse that like they're so different it's well it's not in the sense that these are both socially aberrant identities that people say are fake and they often levy a lot of abuse at the hands of children for falling into it in both cases we had the groomer rhetoric where it was like ah well you're getting this off of tiktok or your neighbor or whatever and but gender dysphoria is a psychiatric condition i do not see any convincing evidence that it's in any way like innate and biological other than there are there are like something like neuroticism something that is, can predispose you to mental I mean, being illness gay isn't in the dsm-5 there are, um, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that people are born gay or born trans. There might be correlative factors in the brain chemistry, but it's certainly not causative. And even there then, are a lot of different in- kinds of trans people. There's like a cohort who are mostly gay. Yeah, but even then, like brain chemistry can be changed over the course of one's life, right? It's not just a, um, it's not just a thing that you're set in with birth, like. A lot Wait, of our brain chemistry is affected by habits. Their sexuality can change. Yeah, people's sexuality change. There are plenty of people who spend their twenties, thirties, forties thinking they're straight, and then they turn out to be. But bisexual. isn't that the argument against conversion therapy? Um, well, I don't think that this is a process that can be beget by like torture. Even if conversion therapy was effective, I would oppose it because it's still torture. Well the methods that they used to use, right? With like shock therapy? Or is it, are we talking about psychological torture? I mean, either or, they still do that. There's a lot of rape and shock probing they do at the current conversion therapy camps as well or whatever. Where? I I mean, I'm pretty sure there was, like even just a few weeks ago, there was like a conversion camp or like stay away place that was busted because there was a bunch of sexual abuse. This was like a big, big news story. This was only a couple of weeks ago, though. I mean, I don't have any like rigorous um, floor plan data on. Oh, I'm not looking for data. I just wasn't. I I haven't heard anything about this before. But even if these processes were effective, I don't think there's anything better or worse about being gay or straight or cis or trans. Um, whatever people settle on seems to be fine by me. And if you know, if they, if they're happier, you know, these trans identified youth going on hormones and such, which the evidence seems to suggest they are. Testosterone also has mood boosting properties. So I would assume that people would be happier if, I mean, we we look at, there are some data that shows that like trans girls are usually report improved mood when they're on testosterone. Then do you, do you trans- think, I, I can't help but get the impression that you believe that everyone who transitions makes a mistake. You, you don't know no i have friends who are transsexual and i i work with the the gender dysphoria alliance that's a group of transsexuals and we're aware then that there can be people who have gender dysphoria when they're youth i mean if you know it takes place yeah. with adult right so if there are youth with gender dysphoria and they receive gender affirming care that's i mean that's a life improved right if 50 people's lives are improved but one person's life is worsened 
that's not ideal, but that's a better case than we get from most medical procedures. You know, I would consider that to be a win. Ideally, you'd refine it, but I think that's, you know, at least a good place to start. If we're looking at the difference between like what the Dutch are doing or what anywhere that has done away with the affirmative model of care are doing, like there's a lot more rigorous assessments and individualized approaches going on. It's very selective and those people seem to have better outcomes rather than this affirmative model. Um, um, well, what if there are many, many trans people there that aren't able to get the medical care that they want because of this model? What model do the Dutch even use with regards to trans people? We don't have any data for that either. I mean, I don't. Well, then, I, well, wait, we, we do, though. Um, we The fact that like trans people suddenly became more socially acceptable and now there are millions of them, I think is a pretty strong indication that like with gay people, you know, it's like the left hand in this graph. The moment social acceptability ticks upwards, we see a huge spike in how many of them there are that'll eventually taper off. And with regards to like the desire for trans healthcare for adults too, not just for youth, I think it's pretty clear that like millions of people have been underserved medically, trans people who should have been getting trans healthcare. We had the ability to provide trans healthcare a century ago. That was one of the first things the Nazis destroyed when they took power. And we've decided to not provide it to them because we haven't considered them to be worth it. So now we're correcting that. And there's a lot of people who identify as trans now. It's you know there's there's a lot of appeal to becoming transgender. This I mean is what it's they like said about you get people. to you get to like reinvent yourself. Like you get a new identity. You get to sort of you get this new community, get love and acceptance from people. There's a lot of things that might appeal to people if, to become if people, transgender. If people want to do that, they can become goth. I don't think people are going to commit themselves to a lifetime of medical intervention. Where are all the goths life. now? They're all trans. All well, those kids. I, yeah, well, kids. I, I guess that's what they really wanted at the end, wasn't it? And I can't blame them for it. The, the idea that people are like willingly throwing themselves into a disadvantaged category for social affirmation, I just don't buy it. They said the same thing about gay people. They said this gay thing is like this, it's, it's like a fad, like it's like this social pressure. And then what do we see? No, it just turns out a lot of people in Gen X and Gen Z are gay, you know? Like just a lot of people are I think a lot of people are, are gender non-conforming. I think we have, there's a lot of people who are gender non-conforming and they think that they're transgender now. But we have data on the regret rates of adult trans people and of millions uh, of trans people across the Western world. Like the aggregate data indicates that overwhelmingly the ones who identify as trans don't regret the interventions they get, not after years. So even I mean, if we were to- Sweden has a study campaign, that shows that they're like 19 times more likely to commit suicide after sex reassignment surgery. I haven't seen any studies to indicate that suicidality increases after any kind of medical care. You haven't seen the Sweden one? I have not seen the Sweden one. Oh, I can find that pretty quick. But even then, like, it seems like what you're making right now is an argument that people who transition are making a mistake. I do think that a lot of them are. I but think the that data we, would we don't have, otherwise. right, we don't have the current, we don't have the data yet, but I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot of people who are detransitioning it is my prediction from spending a lot of time talking to people in the space we, and we have an oh, well wait but that that is anecdotal we have a lot of evidence on people who have transitioned and overwhelmingly it's positive evidence not all of them made the right decision but that's the case with all big life decisions right 
we just have to be careful with the way we frame this information because, you know, like there is a reason why medical practitioners around the world adopted an affirmative model. It's because it seemed like the evidence supported it. Um, but they, now, now you, the United States is sort of an outlier. We have all of these European countries that are reversing course and they're for they're political doing, reasons. Well, I don't think so. Well, that's what I saw certainly with the NHS. That was 100% the case there. Political? Um, for, yeah. What yeah. makes you say that? Well, the United Kingdom is like one of the hubs of anti-trans activism. When I saw the um, reports that were written, they were very light on data and very heavy on anecdotal construction. Um, and a lot of the other European countries that have followed suit cited the NHS change, the shutdown of that one gender clinic. I don't think it was like a strong rebut of the affirmative care model. I think it was just like the nations respectively going like, ah, yeah, oh, but we don't But the care. affirmative care model is terrible. The evidence suggests otherwise. Why would a therapist what, debate what a evidence? child under gender identity? The evidence that they continue from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones, or is that what we're talking about? Well, from a therapeutic perspective, there's just not much point in a kid coming in saying, hey, I feel like I might be a girl, actually, and the doctor going, no, you're not. No, it, not to say no, you're not, but like, okay, let's sit with that for a minute. Why do you feel this way? And if it turns out they might be autistic. They might have some other kind of comorbidities. They might have some other things going on. They might have trauma in their life. Like, but they rather than just affirming, exploring underlying reasons. But they do that. Trying to find the affirmation results. comes along with the exploration of other reasons. They don't just I, go. I don't oh. think so. No, it it does. That what they do is they affirm the gender identity and then they try to explore adjacent issues. The affirmative model doesn't deny them the ability to talk about other stuff. It just denies them the ability to flatly reject their gender identity. They can say- I don't think you should reject the gender identity, but I don't think you should also affirm like, yes, you are transgender. I think there could be other reasons for why someone might adopt a transgender identity. Even the WPATH's new standards of care have recognized that people can be socially influenced to adopt transgender identities. But we- so I think but we we do that for other psychiatric conditions. We do it for anxiety and depression. If you come into a therapist and say, you know, I'm feeling really anxious, uh, uh, any good therapist would say, okay, so you're feeling anxious, you know, let's talk about why. Or hey, you're feeling, feeling anxious isn't it's not an identity though. It's it's, it's not who they are. You're reporting your feeling. brain state, which is what you can do with gender dysphoria as well. It's all you can do because it's entirely a reflection of your, you know, your emotional state and your self-reported decision-making but people are now defining transgender as just not conforming to sex-based stereotypes but the only so, goal of the of the clinic is to determine whether or not there's gender dysphoria that could be treated with medical intervention but sometimes gender dysphoria doesn't need to be treated with medical interventions because otherwise they end up a medical patient for life shouldn't be be encouraging people to try to be comfortable in their bodies. So what what you're describing right now, it was what was practiced in American medicine for about a century now. Oh, you come in and you think you're a girl? Okay. Well, actually, don't you think you'd be happier dropping that and living as a man? That's been the model for taking care of trans people for basically all of modern modernity. And it doesn't work. It does literally nothing. It, it has no, we did the same thing with gay people too. Like, oh, you've been having gay thoughts, you know, like, okay, pray about it. Um, but wouldn't you rather live as straight? It just doesn't work. 
Um, it does work. There's it, been at least 11 studies that have taken place over the decades that show if they're not socially and medically transitioned, they grow up just to be mostly gay and lesbian adults. They because have, they didn't actually have gender dysphoria. They thought they did when they were younger. They identified as trans when they were younger. Were they diagnosed? And then like you're saying the majority of people diagnosed with gender dysphoria then go on to... Yeah. That's certainly not the case with any of the data that I've seen. I can send it to you. Go but I it. sent you something recently. I mean, I just put something in here about uh, the Sweden study. Yeah, it's um, the overall mortality for sex reassigned persons was higher during follow-up than for controls of the same birth sex, particularly on death from suicide. Sex reassigned persons also had an increased risk for suicide attempts and psychiatric inpatient care. Comparisons with controls matched on reassigned sex yielded similar results. So all this is saying that trans people are far more likely to commit suicide than people from the general population, even after they've had sex reassignment surgery. This is also a study from that pulls data from Sweden 1973 to 2003. So all it's saying mm -hmm. is that like trans people are worse off than cis people 20 years ago to 50 years ago, which I agree with. But certainly. it could be saying that sex reassignment surgery didn't help them. No, because the evidence we have that compares pre and post surgery does indicate that it helps. We do have research on that. In minors? Well, minors don't adults? get sex reassignment surgery. It's almost always adults. Well, I mean, there's some 17 year olds who do, but. Yeah, but that's that's very much a rare case. Like this is this it's it's rare enough that there's practically a news story every time it happens. Okay, mm -hmm. that was probably one writing. <laughs> Do trans kids stay trans when they grow up? Um, in total, there have been three large tail studies. This is from 2016. Not that that invalidates it. Just hold on. Despite the large difference in adults, only very few trans kids from the transition turn to regular gay or lesbian sex. So wait. What what makes them trans to begin with? Do kids grow out of wanting to change sex, or does it continue when they are adults? What um, hold on, I have to I have to look at these count groups. If they were diagnosed with gender dysphoria, then chose not to receive any kind of medical treatment, and then they went on to not be trans as they grew up, um, even then I'd be concerned if it was like a matter of parental abuse because that happened a lot with gay people. Yeah, see, this is what I mean. So th this is the thing. Feminine behavior in boys, aspects of its outcome, 1972. This isn't measurements of gender dysphoria. This is like, hey, most boys who play with Barbie dolls don't grow on to, to take cross-sex hormones, which I agree. Like, the gender clinics aren't prescribing cross-sex hormones because kids, like, played with a Barbie doll once. They're coming in for evaluation, often after quite a long wait time with a great expense attached. Effeminate behavior present That's in boys the from first childhood. One, there's a number. There's eleven total, Sorry, and some of them have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Homosexual outcome of discordant gender identity slash role. Early. All it shows is that sometimes, if we diagnose people with gender dysphoria, they might outgrow it. But they're the, they're not diagnosed though. These you, this is just like feminine and boys grew up to be boys. That's the first one. Well, I know. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I don't mean to. I'm reading through it. They get more recent with time. Early effeminate behavior in boys, outcome and significance for homosexuality, a follow-up study of 10 feminine boys, the sissy boy syndrome, and the development of homosexuality. I've seen that video. 
Um, gender disordered children does inpatient treatment seek help? So this this is the first one I see that doesn't just refer to. Um, here, there we go from 1987. Treatment guidelines for gender disturbed children currently are unclear. Mm -hmm. This clinical report describes eight children with cross gender behavior who were treated in an inpatient unit for children. The short-term outcome and long-term clinical observations are provided, which indicate a generally good outcome. The findings may have both practical and theoretical significance because they suggest some gender disorders may be determined by intrafamiliar interactions, which are correctable. So I, I, I can't make anything of this because the use of the term gender-disturbed children, um, I, I don't know what they're actually testing for. The title is gender-disordered children, but is it like, the boy it used to be called gender identity disorder, right? Yeah, but the, before 2013, the clinical standards for diagnosing it back in the 80s would have been like way different than right now. Yeah, I would, I would guess. Um, psychological, psychosexual outcome of gender dysphoria. Oh, gender dysphoria. Wait, this one says gender dysphoria. Hold on, that's the from 2008. It's modern parlance as well, from the National Institute of Health.gov. And to establish the psychosexual outcome of gender disorder children at 16 years or older and to examine childhood characteristics related to psychosexual outcome. We studied 77 children who had been referred in childhood to our clinic because of gender dysphoria. Okay. In childhood, we measured the children's cross-gender identification and discomfort within their own sex and gender roles. At follow-up, um, 10.4 plus or minus 3.4 years later, 54 children agreed to participate. In this group, we assessed gender dysphoria and sexual orientation. Okay, so here we go. So it's um, 77 children were referred um, to the clinic because of gender dysphoria, and they followed up approximately 10 years later, uh, in which 54 children agreed to participate. And in the follow-up, 27% um, or sorry, uh, 21 were still gender dysphoric, and 33 were no longer gender dysphoric. Both boys and girls in the persistence group were more extremely cross-gendered in behavior and feelings and were more likely to fulfill gender identity disorder uh, criteria in children than another group. And then a lot of them ended up being gay, which I could, uh, I could definitely see. Yeah, um, so this seems to be a study of gender dysphoria persisting before and after children, or sorry, before and after like puberty because the initial range of study ranged on children between the ages of five and 12. Um, I, I fully agree that a diagnosis of gender dysphoria should not lock somebody in to taking hormones later in life if they like come in when they're five years old. But if you come in when you're like 12 or 13 and then you're, you're diagnosed, you follow through with the clinic, you're on years of hormone blockers, and then you choose to continue taking cross-sex hormones, I feel like that's a much more... Um, like that process is way more likely to 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 cast off the people who aren't like legitimately in need of this medical care, you know? Not if we're talking about autistic kids who sort of lock into this idea that they're transgender and are completely convinced by it and end up getting the wrong treatment for them. So, I, I mean, I have to return then to my question to you, which is what success rate would be acceptable to you? Because, like, unless your solution is to ban all trans medical care for youth, um, there will always be some, like, rate of mistake making. There will always be people who have to detransition. It's just a statistical inevitability. How many is acceptable? 
again, I would say like, I don't, what I see right now, it's the affirmative model that's the problem and not enough diagnostic criteria for autistic kids. So I don't know what an appropriate number would be. I would hope that it would be none. It's just when you're talking about kids, they don't really know who they are yet. They don't, they're trying to figure it out. It's, it just seems like a really bad idea well, to medically affirm them. What if we reevaluated and we changed our models as an outcome of that for every 100 people who receive trans-affirming care from youth, only one of them ends up detransitioning as an adult. Would that be, like if we reaffirmed it, like in five years down the line, that was the system we had and that was what the evidence we came up with was, would that be acceptable to you? We're still talking about like, if it's a guy, like, we're talking about people who aren't gonna have like, a they're sterile or like they can't don't have a functioning sex life and like they it feels I like the consequences you, are functioning sex lives um i mean we're but if we're talking about puberty blockers to cross sex hormones none of them will ever be able to have an orgasm this is like the out of the mouth of dr marcy bowers president of wpath I, I, and like the i promise you they're they're mistaken there are Absolutely trans people who can have orgasms after having bottom surgery or just hormones or whatever else. I'm well, we're talking about from puberty blockers to cross sex hormones so that they don't they don't ever develop the ability. Well, they they do, because when they take the cross sex hormones, they experience that puberty. I'm saying out of the mouth of Marcy Bauer's surgeon who's conducted a lot of these procedures and who's been treating a lot of trans youth. She has said out of 2000, none of them are able to have an orgasm. Jazz Jennings can't. It's, it's just like, this is what we know. So, Abigail and surgeon Marcy Bowers falsely claimed trans girls on puberty blockers lack sexual response after vaginal plant. I, I, I just, I, that is not true. If Marcy Bowers said that, then on this, Marcy was incorrect. But you, you, you avoided my question there, which was like, if you could get a hundred to to one, would that be like accept? Because ultimately, this is out. If it's based, kids, right? then it's zero for but, me. So then you you just don't want there to be any medical intervention on for trans youth because it can never be zero. I don't think zero. that the affirmative model of care can. I mean, I don't think that, um, what am I trying to, with the current model of care that we have, no, I don't think it's a good idea to medically transition kids. If we're talking about a different model of care, maybe. Yeah. So if we had a different model of care, one that I don't know was more scrupulous or like the Dutch model or whatever you preferred, and you could, you could get that, that ratio of care. Um, because ultimately this is outcome driven. Like you, you would, you would decide how satisfied you are with the model of care based on its results. We don't really care about the model of care for itself. We care about the results that it begets. Um, for me personally, I think that while detransitioners exist, there are far more trans youth who regret not being able to access an appropriate level of medical care for them. You mean adults who wish they had transitioned when they're younger? No, and trans youth. Um, I imagine that for a young trans person going through a puberty they don't want to go through is quite a, quite upsetting, you know?
if you're but a, puberty is upsetting for everybody for, no i liked going through puberty i was <laughs> i was already large and strong well you're a boy and it made me larger and stronger i am a boy but if i was somebody who didn't particularly like being large strong and hairy who didn't like having a deep voice and hairy arms then i imagine this would have been very upsetting for me i liked it but if somebody was so upset with it that it could send them into suicidal depression, which is often something that transgender youth who are not able to go on hormone blockers experience, you know, I do feel for them if they can't get that medical care. I feel like sometimes dysphoria can be induced if they believe that they've been born in the wrong body because their doctors told them that. I know some detransitioners whose doctors told them they had a medical condition, that they had a male brain and a female body, and that they were being provided mental medical interventions for the medical condition. Well, people said this about homosexuals as well. You know, like you're being told that this is something you can be. You, you saw this on TV. You saw Michael Jackson dancing on MTV and, you know, it made you gay, but you're not really gay. Um, as for the doctors, like the doctors might not always be misdiagnosing with fault. If a person who will later detransition goes into the, um, the gender clinic and says, like convincingly recites a bunch of criteria for gender dysphoria, then goes on puberty blockers, then goes on hormones, the doctors, I mean, they're not really responsible for that, you know? Uh, misdiagnosis can still take place, but ultimately, we're talking about psychiatric conditions. They're working off the info they're given. It's not possible to medically, provably determine gender dysphoria. It seems like people are being too quickly affirmed when we're talking about kids. I know, you're waiting for the data. So maybe we'll follow up. Right. Yeah, I, I don't mind following the data. Um, I just worry that underlying your patience for the data is a belief that there's not really any reason for people to be transitioning at all. Because throughout this conversation, you've indicated to me a lot of stuff that makes me feel like you don't really think gender dysphoria is like that real or like it's 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 not something no you it is actioned on well you've said like suicide rates are higher after um bottom surgery or like shouldn't we just encourage these boys to enjoy being feminine boys and if it were that simple like there wouldn't be trans girls if if loving being a feminine boy was on the table for them and happiness could be found in that route that's a far easier route being a feminine yeah. boy is easier than ever before um being trans is hard very hard like, I know you attribute the exponential growth rate in trans identification to societal acceptance, but I believe that there are other factors. Like we talked about social influence and WPATH recognizing social influence can induce some, I mean, can cause someone to adopt transgender identity. I'm same with being gay. saying there are gender dysphoric people. I'm friends with them. They transitioned when they were mostly adults. It's a real psychiatric, meaningful diagnosis. But there's just there's been this push to sort of 
de-emphasize the importance of the diagnosis. Like even in the DSM-5 now, it says that you only have to have gender incongruence for like six months or something like that, which doesn't seem like a long amount of time to me. Um, well, just for the diagnosis, but then it's hormone blockers and then cross-sex hormones. And you can still detransition with relatively little effort after a short time on cross-sex hormones even. So potentially we're talking about years of leeway with regards to decision-making. But no? they could possibly be sterile and they have hair growth for the, I mean, we're talking about girls who have hair growth where they don't want it to be a very deep voice. Then they shouldn't have Allah. taken the medicine. That's the whole point of the, yeah, the process. But they should have been properly evaluated. We're talking about, I'm but proper evaluation will always produce false positives. Not this many. Well, yeah, no, this many. I mean, if we're talking about 1.5% of Gen Z considering themselves transgender, um, we would rightfully expect to see thousands of detransitioners. You talked earlier about how you feel there's this weird campaign of hate from some portions of the right. There's also a very strong push to elevate the voices of detransitioners so that they can further their campaign against trans people. Like, God, I can't tell you how many times I've seen like random story of some detransitioner talking about how they've been victimized by the medical industry, you know? And oftentimes their stories are bullshit. Like you look into it a little bit and they're actively lying. Oftentimes they're not. What? It, yeah, I've, people lie I know the all of them. People, well, yeah, people lie, like go on Fox News and lie. It's been known to happen. There are a lot of people who aren't I, lying when they say I'm, that. I'm pretty sure I know every detransitioner personally who has ever gone on conservative media and I can assure you they're not lying. Well, I wish I could remember the name of that one it was a trans guy who was like, look at what, look at what testosterone can do. It ruins your body. And he was pointing out his male pattern baldness, which is, of course, that's something testosterone can do. Casey? Maybe. But then it, then it turns out he was like, actually, I don't regret transitioning. And actually, actually, I was balding back when I was still a girl before I look, took hormones. Was it, was it that? Casey, person? Casey has become very skeptical because she feels she's been taken advantage of, of by conservative media. So she has pulled back a bit. Oh, but there you go. What do you mean? Oh, well, the, well her my... experience is real. I reported on it. I was the first person to interview her. I think um, she transitioned when she she was affirmed when she was seventeen. If you're of the opinion that um, social relations, like social pressure, the ward of a doctor or a parent, could convince a child that they're gender dysphoric when they're not. Do you think it's possible that right-wing media is capable of making people feel like they're detransitioners when they're not? Like a person might legitimately be trans, but then they would see a bunch of conservative media about how trans what people are- What is legitimately trans though? That is just a, it's just what they call themselves. Well, if wait, they don't- That's a good question. What is legitimately mm -hmm. trans? Somebody who identifies as being transgender. That's all you need to do to be transgender is just identify as it. If you can doubt the veracity of a person's um, uh, transition decision, you know, maybe you feel this way, but you shouldn't transition. Could one not do the same for detransitioning? Like, oh, sure, you started taking testosterone when you were a youth, but hey, don't stop now. The only reason you thinking you should stop is because a bunch of right-wing media is hyping up the detransition. It wasn't right-wing media in Casey's case. It was another detransitioner. Most of the time they're introduced to, or they come to these realizations that they were influenced by social media and other transgender influencers. And 
in her case, it was a few of the transgender Does the influencers. Go by he, him, or am I misremembering that? No, she's she's a girl. Yes, it's, okay. We're talking about the young lady who went viral on Twitter, who had posted a video, and she had considerable hair loss. That's case. Yes, I think I think I remember that. Um, well, she she detransitioners they usually find each other on the reddit forum that's up to like forty five thousand members now and yeah it could be just a lot of people could be just following it because they're interested in it but there's also just heartbreaking posts every day new ones do you um, think um do you think she might have been like groomed into detransitioning no i think she realized that she wasn't really transgender. She had been influenced by YouTube influencers. And actually some of those YouTube YouTube influencers had decided to detransition. Well, then it sounds kind of like a social contagion, this detransitioning. Like maybe maybe she would have continued transitioning. I think she like realized that she made a mistake. Well, it seems like social influence could have played a pretty heavy role in it, no? I mean, you, you just admitted yourself, like she was exposed to an environment where this detransitioning stuff was... She was exposed prominent. to the belief that she was born in the wrong body and that she wasn't really a girl. She was exposed to this the gender identity ideology that says that you can um that what is it? That if you don't conform to the stereotypes associated with your sex, then you might be transgender. Yeah. And then obviously she went and got a doctor's affirmation of course that's how she was able to get she thought she was a boy hospital. she realized that she can never be a boy she's a girl well why couldn't she just be a feminine boy because you cannot change your sex you can change your outward appearance and you can change the secondary sex characteristics but you can't actually become one and should be a medical patient her whole life well, and I didn't, I didn't say uh, biological male. I said a feminine boy. She transitioned to being a boy. She could have just been a feminine boy, but she might have been swayed by these social media influencers into um, detransitioning, which can have significant repercussions to your body. You know, after all, after you stop taking cross-sex hormones, your body has to start producing them themselves, which means that potentially you're going down a road of lifelong medical intervention if you decide to detransition. I've talked to her at length. She's a very sweet and genuine person. She just, she realized that she wasn't transgender. She realized that she wasn't a boy and she was not happy with the side effects of medical transition. So she stopped. And she's also sort of retreated from publicly talking about it. She did for a little bit. She got really skeptical because uh, she felt like people, um, media reporters and people were taking her story and just sort of looking ma making her into this you know look what could look what could happen to you and and she didn't like that she wasn't comfortable with it so she retreated from publicly talking about it and i think that's the right decision um the media landscape is not very forgiving right now the only mm -hmm. thing i mean to point out is that i feel like I feel like a lot of this is influenced by a kind of doubt on your part that there's that there's sort of like a, a reason, a rhyme or a reason or a legitimacy to the whole business of transition, that it's it's ultimately kind of a ruinous process and not a wise one to take, certainly not one that a, a young person could commit to engaging in. But 
oftentimes when we when we believe that we fall upon sort of the comforting message that well okay people are making these bad decisions because of social influence but the god's honest truth is all we are is social influence outside i don't know your height your skin tone and not even necessarily those two either social influence determines pretty much everything we grow up to be our sexuality our gender identity a huge portion of how our bodies develop and i don't really think there's anything more legitimate to being cisgender than being transgender maybe easier i think it's easier to be cisgender but as as decisions go whether we decide to take cross-sex hormones or not in youth we're ultimately making a decision and i feel like right now my sympathies if they must lie somewhere on this scale they have to lie with the people who are trans who are actually properly trans of which there are quite a few you know not groomed into it just people tend to gravitate towards things they think are possible for them. That's why a lot more people identify as gay now. I have a lot of sympathy for people who are trans. Um, but I also have sympathy for detransitioners and the autistic community. I also have sympathy for them. Um, I do think that autistic diagnoses should improve. I do fully agree with yeah. that. I didn't get diagnosed until I was in my late 20s or early thirties and my teen years were hell. I was in the, I got, I got locked up in a treatment center that Paris Holton is trying to get shut down for a oh. year. Like I was, I was very disturbed young person. Cause I, um, I just couldn't function in society. Well, I'm happy that thing. I'm, I'm assuming that things have improved and follow up. I'm happy that they have. Um, I, I agree the situation is quite dire with regards to that um, in terms of uh, acceptance of neurodivergent people. I think ultimately these are shared goals. A lot of trans people are autistic, not, mm -hmm. I think, because there's a mistake that's been made or something, but rather because, you know, whatever social incongruities lead a person to be trans or autistic, I'm sure there's some shared space there. At the very least, you know, um, it, it makes people spend a lot of their time online. So they have that in common. I um yeah, I I have massively overtaxed your time and I do appreciate your tolerance of that. Um I said I'd only have you on for an hour and in, in, in thirteen I have to listen to two idiots screech at each other. So I um I have to get ready for that. I have to get in that headspace. What do you mean two idiots screech at each other? I'm hosting a debate between two people of very different ideological dispositions. Things go. Well that should be interesting. Um be, uh, very tired. Well I had a really nice time talking to you and I appreciate you having me on and um, I feel like it was productive. Yeah, Maybe no, we'll... I, I enjoyed the conversation very much. I'm um, I'm sorry about the the Daily Wire kerfuffle. I'm sure a lot of people are going to throw hate your way as a product of that because it's yeah, you know, the they Daily are. Wire. <laughs> That's their core audience that didn't even read the letter or try to understand what was going on. Yeah, well, maybe they'll improve someday too. Maybe they're autistic. Uh, mm. If look, if if ever we get that that critical data on detransition and regret rates for people who started in youth and started with the hormone blockers and everything, okay? We're at it again, all right? We have, we have okay. each other's Twitter. We're, we're locked in. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we'll be in touch, and I hope your cat's okay, and have a, have a nice debate. He's getting cuter by the minute, and thank you. Um, you have a wonderful day. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right, I think of nothing else that was pretty interesting. That was painful. You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying when I say like whatever disagreements there may be, 
uh, at least she believes in a thing. <laughs> you know, like God, after after all the conservative arguments where it's just like I'm I'm like arguing with like a conga line of Nazis wearing different colored bow ties, um, whose only ideological imperative is winning. You know, I do I do appreciate that. I I am thankful she was willing to talk. You know, she doesn't do um, uh, um, debate stuff. Twitter is angry you platformed her in the first place. I'm I'm sure I'm sure things are fine. I I am um I am fully of the opinion that I succeeded in making my position clear. Uh and I uh you know, I I don't think that there was any irresponsible platforming which took place. People are always upset with me. Uh I think I think that was a fine convo. I'm trying to think what are my like post-conversation thoughts on that? Can you brush up on the stuff in her document? Half the studies she's mentioned are are in it. Why didn't you call her out in the whole autism fixation? Um, okay. My so we you can always take different directions in a disagreement like that. My the direction I wanted to take is that there is literally no way to arrive at a model of care that would produce no regret in detransition. And for that reason, all you can do is use existing evidence to guide your current model and all you can do, like, and, and the current model is currently decided by evidence. So my goal was that, but she didn't really want to bite on that. The autism thing is kind of a side issue to me. A lot of people say trans people are just autistic or whatever. The autism thing is obviously personal to her. I got a feel on that, like the moment she said it, which made me not want to talk about it because I generally don't want to touch on issues that are personal to the person that I'm talking with, because usually then it gets into like the business of, of like personal experience and anecdotes, which this is like a very strong topic to discuss from a data perspective. So I, I want to keep it to that as much as possible. Um, and the, the bit that I did at the end there where I was saying like, oh, maybe Casey detransitioned because of social pressure is because I want to indicate like people say, okay, well, maybe they're only trans because they've been like convinced into it by their doctor or whatever. The truth of the matter is being gay, straight, pan, ace, trans, cis, all of these have social forces like influencing them. A good example of this, and I don't want to get into like racy historical allegories with her for a variety of reasons, but like in Greek society, the idea that like you were straight as long as you were the one topping the other guy, that is by our understanding gay. Uh, that is a gay thing to do, but like and it was way more common back then, and that's entirely social. It's not like the genes of ancient Greeks had um, like more gay juice in it than we do. A lot of that is social. There are a lot of people who are probably gay who grow up thinking they're straight because they're born into a society with sort of compulsive heterosexuality. So it's like all they hear about is how guys go after girls and girls go after guys, and their parents are always talking about how they got to get a girl. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's like maybe they are gay. They may never know. That's why, like, it's kind of a trope of people spending their entire life being straight, and then when they turn, like, 60, they're gay all of a sudden, you know? And a lot of that is, um, like, when people retire and they have a little bit more time to think, they have a little bit more time to, like, relax, it's like, wait, wait a second, hold on. And, the, it, like, uh, something they've been burying their entire life gets, gets like, dragged out a little bit into the limelight. Um... I don't know what an ideal, obviously an ideal rate of like youth transition regret would be zero, but a realistic rate, I, I don't know what it would be. Um, the current rate of apparent regret we have for detransition or like trans people being between 0.5 and like 1.5% is already really, really good. The rate of regret for transitioning is really low. It's incredibly low. It's anomalously low. It's ridiculously low. 
uh, by the standard of like every other medical procedure that we do. Like people have regrets more for like everything else, including life-saving life saving procedures. So there are literally people who will get like gastric bypass or like a heart replacement and wake up and go, eh, wish they just let me die. And there are more of those people than there are people who are like, damn, I uh, wish I hadn't gotten my dick turned in the inside out. It's, it's, it's just like, it's it's so solid for 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 that case you know um there will always be some detransitioners there will always be some degree of regret and one of the reasons why i'm so pro hormone blocker is because that actually serves as a buffer that serves both parties because whether or not a person later goes on to transition a hormone blocker gives you a chunk of time that is fine whether or not you end up being trans if you end up being trans congratulations you don't have to go through like male or female puberty whatever puberty you were going to go through without any medicine and if you don't end up being trans uh hormone blockers are reversible uh, i know she briefly mentioned that they might not be like reversible and she's wrong i've done a lot of research on this they don't cause cognitive problems um uh, uh they don't cause long-term infertility you just you just get the hormones again you, you your the hormone that you should have gotten just happened i think there's some evidence to indicate it might have a mild effect on bone density and on 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 height but like that's really minor for a person who's been on years of hormone blockers getting off them like like come on right you know like we're we're dealing with for the for the kind of stuff we're talking about the potential of lifelong medical transition that risk level that level of potential investment but backing off of it after being in years in that's pretty acceptable to me. That being said, we probably are going to see an increase in like perceived detransitioners, um, uh, like in younger categories of, 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 of trans people or like formerly trans people. And a big reason for that is going to be probably because we're going to hear more people getting off hormone blockers. We're going to hear more stories of people who got diagnosed with gender dysphoria, took hormone blockers, got off of them, and then they're like, yeah, I was trans from 14 to 16. I detransitioned. Technically, I don't think you're detransitioning if all you've taken is hormone blockers. That seems kind of dumb to me. But, you know, we might see a tick up in that. That being said, I'm optimistic about the future. I think that the affirmative care model has a lot of really good stuff going for it. And the challenges to the affirmative care model, in my opinion, have been like really... Um, insubstantial like for instance when i was talking to her she didn't seem to understand that like the affirmative care model just meant that you don't actively contradict their gender identity as stated but you can still explore other options or like wonder if there are other causes or cases because that's what the affirmative care model allows you to do you know a lot of people think it means like you just say yes and then like that's it you just like run forward like yeah yes okay bam and you just like you should go forward okay i actually did enjoy talking with her 